Help keep Kinks and Beats Daily alive with a $4 monthly contribution and receive exclusive bonus episodes as our thank you to you. Visit herohabit.com slash shop for more details. Welcome to Kinks and Beats Daily. I'm your host, Tony Fry. This is episode 173. Goo goo Today we are talking about I Am the Walrus by The Beatles. One of my favorite songs, um, a massively popular tune of theirs, very famous. It was released November 24th, 1967 as the B-side to Hello Goodbye. November 27th on the Magical Mystery Tour LP in the United States. And December 8th, 1967 on the Magical Mystery Tour EP in the UK. Um, Magical Mystery Tour, the album, is the only instance of an American release becoming official canon. Uh, when the albums were being issued on CD for the first time, Apple opted to release the American version of Mystery Tour, which was a soundtrack to the movie on one side and a collection of singles that weren't on other albums as the B-side. And that became the official Magical Mystery Tour album for the CDs. The English EP that was originally released in 67 only contained the soundtrack side of the American album. And I think it was a double EP, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so as such, I'm the Robbers has always been an album track in the United States, but was uh, uh, an, an EP that you had to track down for years in the UK, unless you got an import copy, or obviously it was on the Blue Album in 1973. Uh, the intent of this song a lot like Glass Onion, which actually name checks this song, was to confuse scholars who were trying to find deeper meanings in the Beatles lyrics. For some reason, this really bothered Lennon. And he drew on his experiences with some LSD trips and his love of Lewis Carroll um, and some old nursery rhymes to craft a lyric that is beyond interpretation. That said, these lyrics that are beyond interpretation still got banned from um, the BBC because of its reference to knickers. So even when he does a nonsense song, um, it still gets interpreted and banned. The piece is composed of three song fragments that Lennon fused into one. There is the main melody, which is like an English police siren. You know, um, uh, I am here as you are, he is you are me. That's the one. There's the sitting in an English garden. That's a second song fragment. And then there's... Um, sitting on a cornflake waiting for the van to come was apparently another third thing that he had floating in his head. But these, these were all three separate ideas that he pulled together for this one. And as he would do on cry, baby cry and cleanup time, he borrowed from a children's nursery rhyme for the yellow matter custard dripping from a dead dog's eye line, which proves not that we needed more proof, but it proves again that children's nursery rhymes are composed in nightmarish hellscapes. The full rhyme is yellow matter custard, green slop pie, all mixed together with a dead dog's eye. Slap it on a slap it on a buddy 10 foot thick, then wash it all down with a cup of cold sick. I'm going to assume that buddy and cold cup of cold sick are um, some sort of English slang that I'm not aware of or some 60s thing that I'm not aware of. Where, but this is a very charming little ditty that you sang on the playground at school. 
Um, musically, there's a lot going on, including a massive orchestral overdub, a full choir, a radio broadcast of King Lear. This is really, in a lot of ways, a precursor of what Lennon, Harrison, and Ono would do on Revolution 9 the following year. But this is grounded in a musical song, whereas Revolution 9 is just a sound collage um, that is orchestrated like a piece of music. This is a piece of music. Um, during the fade out, there's, it's often referenced to contain a shepherd tone. If you do research on shepherd tones, uh, it oftentimes will reference um, I Am the Walrus as having a famous one. And it's basically an auditory illusion that makes a tone seem to be ascending or descending forever, but it doesn't actually get any higher or lower. And when it's done correctly, the scale simply repeats from where it started, but your ear can't hear the repeat and instead perceives it as a continuous motion that never resolves. So what it does is it takes two tones that are like an octave apart. Okay. And they are either ascending or descending. And let's say we're going A to G. Okay. Maybe the top strings go A to F and then jump down an octave and then finish up. You know, th what happens is the, the, uh, the notes that are split by an octave do their jump back down at different times. So maybe the low note, the low instrument goes up two octaves and then repeats and the top note goes up two and a half octaves before it repeats. So this staggered repeating gives the illusion your ear hears it as just one continuous ascension or dissension that never gets any higher. So it's a cool little trick. Um, you hear it a ton in horror films because it's a very strange sound. And especially if you, um, if you stack the shepherd tones into tritones, you have what they call a tritone paradox that is even creepier sounding. I, for one, don't think the Beatles are actually using a shepherd tone as it's intended, but they mimicked it with the violins as the song fades because the song's done before the strings would have been out of range to keep the ascending scale. And you've also got the descending scale underneath it. So I don't think it's actually a shepherd tone, but if you see that reference, that's what they're talking about, is that constant... Um, ascending tone that never seems to reach its its end point in the high strings think of it as an audio version of a barbershop pole that's the most common way to people describe it most of the recording done for this song was like in three sessions in september 1967 the first two sessions were the band's tracks and john's vocals and then the third session added the choir and orchestral overdubs and there were several sessions for mixing and editing and all that kind of stuff. But the bulk of the work was done in three sessions, which is pretty incredible. But you got to remember, they were recording a soundtrack and filming the movie. Um, this was the first session that they'd done after Brian Epstein, their manager, had died. And the movie began filming shortly afterwards. So this song started with the standalone session. But eventually, the movie sessions and the audio, audio sessions were kind of getting mixed in and 
all over the place. So there's a lot going on at this point in their career. Um, one cool thing about the harmony of the song, every note of the musical alphabet is utilized, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And that's not usually the case in a four-minute pop tune. And all the chords are major, which is even more rare. Um, beyond that, there's not much to discuss. The chord progression is pretty void of harmonic structure. It just sounds cool. Um, and it's void of harmonic structure because all the chords are major chords or major sevenths. Um, and it's all of them. And you can't really have a song that has an A major, B major, C major, D major, E major, F major, all that, and be in a key. It's a great song. And it went on to be hugely influential. Jeff Lynne, when he formed Electric Light Orchestra, said he wanted to pick up where I'm the Walrus left off, which um, I think would have been in the middle of a shepherd tone. And um, it's also one of those pieces that, like a lot of the Sgt. Pepper album, you kind of wonder what they could have done if they had better technology because they were still recording on four tracks at this point. So had they had an eight track at their disposal, what else could have happened? Obviously, the mix and the sound quality would have been improved because they wouldn't have had to condense tracks to do the bouncing and all that because they've got 20 tracks worth of music on these four tracks. But every time you condense it and bounce it down, you know, the quality degrades, you lose control of isolating the instruments and all that kind of stuff. So obviously the sound quality would have been probably improved. Um, but on the flip, the impulse to keep stacking sounds may have overwhelmed the song. So in this case, technology might have hindered their creativity, but it also might have forced their creativity to be more economical and kind of edit out the stuff that shouldn't have been there in the first place. So it could have gone either way, but it is interesting to listen and knowing how limited they were in what they could do in the studio with the equipment they had, how much they did with that limitation is pretty incredible. That's I Am The Walrus. Give me a call, 925-494-1739 with your thoughts on this song, your thoughts on another song we've covered, your thoughts on a song we haven't covered yet. I will uh, play all your voicemails on this podcast when it is appropriate to play them. Also, um, let me know a song that you have changed your opinion on by the Kinks or the Beatles as you've gotten older. You can email me, kinksandbeats at herohabit.com, and you can support the podcast for $4 a month um, by going to herohabit.com. Like I said, I think yesterday, if everybody that listens to this podcast did the $4 contribution, I could quit my day job and produce even more podcasts. So consider doing that. If you're already doing it, thank you. Your bonus episodes are coming soon. Um, and, oh, join our Facebook group. Leave me a five-star rating review on iTunes. Join my Facebook. So many demands I have of you. I'll stop. Join me tomorrow. Keep downloading. Thank you for listening. Take care. This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. Swing by HeroHabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. HeroHabit.com. Collect your heroes.